Dear Heavenly Father, God, come before you on your blessed Sabbath. Lord, we are grateful that after a long week, you invite us into your presence in this special time. That in the entire universe, your agenda, at the top of your agenda is this speck of dust. And God, we ask for your Holy Spirit here this morning that you be the guide, that you be the teacher, you be the speaker, Father God. May I simply be a faithful witness of the blessings that you have given to me. And God, we ask that you be in all the work and the details, that this may be a blessing to any person that is here and listening. And that your angels come close, that your Holy Spirit draws closer to us, Father God. Lord, may our hearts be open and drawn to you. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning, when God first created, created humanity, his words, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, were a window into the purpose and heart of God for us. That Adam and Eve in their rulership were to fill the earth with blessing. After the fall and the world became so terrible and filled with wickedness, God sent, had to send a flood and restart with Noah and his family. And the first command God gives to Noah at leaving the ark in Genesis 8, 16 to 17. Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Again, it's this command to go out into the world and be a blessing. Generations follow and God calls a man by the name of Abram and calls him from the Ur of the Chaldeans to, in Genesis 12:1, Get out of your country from your family and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise to Abraham that he would become a nation, but not just any nation, but that through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. In only a few generations, Joseph is sent off to Egypt and God raises him from being a slave to the right hand of Pharaoh. And it is in that position he becomes a fountain of life that helps preserve Egypt from famine. But all the nations and the people that came to Egypt also in that crisis, including Joseph's family, received a blessing. When the Israelites fall into captivity and bondage in Egypt, God, the I am, liberates them, not simply to be free, but through their deliverance in, from Egypt. Exodus 9, 16, God says, but indeed for this purpose I have raised you, that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. And I'm only in the book of Exodus, my friends. I'm not gonna go through every instance because we would be here for hours, but move on through the books and the heart of God has always been with the purpose 
that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Written both in Isaiah and Habakkuk. And God's aim and mission never changes. It never needs to when you are the God eternal. When Jesus came to earth and says those unforgettable, everlasting words to Nicodemus in the night, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The mission of the son simply carries out the heart of God. While on earth, the ministry of Christ reaches only the Israelites, but he goes to the cross, he goes to the tomb, and the command he gives to his followers upon his resurrection that Sunday morning, go into all the world. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And he gifts his young, inexperienced church the Holy Spirit for the purpose that they will be witnesses of Christ into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. And one of my favorite events captured in the early start of the church, you can turn, we're going to look a little bit there, in the tail end of Acts chapter 7, going into Acts chapter 8. All throughout Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen, layman deacon, newly instituted community service staff member, because the church of Jesus of Nazareth was booming. Stephen is pulled before the Sanhedrin and he's preaching his heart out and the people are convicted. But instead of coming up for an altar call, Stephen is dragged out and made the first martyr of the church. And it's like things go from bad to worse. You can read with me in Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 to 3. Starting with verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. You know, I, I read these verses and it, and it sort of feels like, you know, if you've ever tried to start a fire, maybe if the wind's blowing, you try and strike that match. You have your hands huddled to protect it from the wind. And just when it seems like maybe the fire is going to catch and pick up, devil snuffs it out. Right when the momentum of the gospel of Jesus is growing, they were growing by thousands in Pentecost, multitudes joining day after day as they met house to house. Stephen is stoned. And now, as if it wasn't enough that Stephen was stoned, Saul goes on this rampage throughout Jerusalem, entering house to house to drag Christians from their home churches. This persecution rages so badly that everyone, except the apostles, Maybe the apostles decided they needed to brave the persecution and stand their ground. Maybe they, they felt they needed to stay behind, perhaps for anybody who couldn't leave. But every person of the infant church is pressed to separate and scatter. 
And I imagine that if I were in that situation, I'd be asking God the hard questions. Why Stephen, God? Didn't you always intervene? You can send an angel to open the gates of the prison, Lord. You can bring people back to life. Why Stephen? Why this persecution, Father? Why aren't you stepping in to change the politics in our favor, Lord? You've protected the church from the likes of Ananias and Sapphira. Won't you do something about Saul? But then you read verse 4, and everything clicks and falls into place. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. This scattering of the church, this displacement, putting them to be separated, wasn't for the breaking of the church, but for the growing of it. Because of the persecution and the cruel abuse and torture Saul inflicts upon the Christians, chasing them even to foreign cities, they scatter and leave Jerusalem. When you first read the word scatter, it feels like the devil has shattered and scattered the church into bits and pieces like ashes. But the word scatter here in the Greek, diaspero, the word means to sow seed. Like for planting. The church was growing and booming, but to God, Jerusalem was too small. For God so loved the world. God's eyes and heart have always been set on the whole world, not just one city, not just Loma Linda, not just Berrien Springs. Imagine if we can turn Tokyo, Baghdad, Vientiane, Shanghai, Siem Reap, Cairo into the next Loma Linda, friends. And then, keep going on to verse 5. It cements everything. Then Philip, verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. In spite of the crisis, God was still leading. It was Christ who tells us in Acts chapter 1, go to Jerusalem, you'll be my witnesses. Then you'll go from Judea to Samaria. It is because of the persecution of Saul that the church of God finally accomplishes what Christ had commanded them to do, to go into Samaria. There is never a trial that happens to us, church, that is beyond the reach and ability of God to use and redeem it, not just for our good, but for a good that cannot be numbered. When the devil hoped to decimate the church, break its morale, God used it to achieve his overall sovereign will. And the heart of God is always for the blessing of the world. I say these words and I read them, but I have a problem because I can't reconcile something that is a reality today, friends. 2,000 years after Jesus has commanded those who believe in him to go into all the world, more than 150 years have passed since the Adventist church has been told. Specifically, our church has been entrusted with the last warning for a patient world. There is no warning after us, my friends. We are the last warning. 
and yet still there remains 41% of the world. More than 3 billion people who are unreached. When I refer to the unreached, we're talking about, without exaggeration, people who grow up, who are born, grow up, and die without hearing the name of Jesus one time in their whole life. They will grow up and live their life without meeting one Christian or ever hear that Jesus came. And this is why we celebrate it at Christmas. They have no clue. They see Christmas, they think snowmen and Santa Claus. People will grow up never knowing the true reason why we celebrate Christmas. That Jesus came to this earth, that he existed and lived and died for them because he loves them. We know these facts, I'm sure. Yet only one out of 1,800 Christians chooses to serve cross-culturally. And just to put that information into perspective, Loma Linda campus is about 4,462 enrollment. In a crowd of that size, you will find two to three people. Two to three people who make that decision to serve overseas as a career. And that's just overseas. Because you take 10 worldwide gospel workers, and out of those 10 who serve overseas, only one will go to the hardest place to reach, the unreached, the places that need it the most. The other nine, they work in places where there is already Christian presence or they're at a Christian institution. So you'd have to take three Loma Linda campuses and then you'd be able to find one who works on the unreached. makes sense right we're more likely to hear and plan be able to plan a trip to Mexico and help then we are likely to set one up to Cambodia if you take a hundred thousand dollars of the offering that Christians send into the church how much of it do we send to the unreached divide it among those ten workers I told you about that one hundred thousand one dollar, one dollar out of every 100,000 goes to that one worker with the least help and the hardest place to reach. The other 99,999 dollars goes to the other nine workers, goes to places with significant Christian or Adventist presence. There's a quote from David Platt. There is only one thing worse than being lost. That is being lost and having no one try to find you. There is only one thing worse than being lost. That is being lost and having no one try to find you. Now I'm not here to say that I believe everyone is called to be an overseas worker. But friends, there is something wrong with this picture. If we really believe our church is to carry the three angels' messages to every tribe, nation, tongue, and kindred, and we want to finish the work in this generation, we are deluding ourselves about the facts that somehow two to three people called overseas in a school the size of Loma Linda and somehow everyone else is called to the mission field of America. 
while the rest, while 40% of the world remains unreached. Friends, we need a change in our mindset. We need to expand our horizons, expand our vision. In my time here, it's very common to meet and come across this, this concept that serving overseas as a career is exceptional. But if we really are a church for the spreading to the world of every tribe and kindred, it should be just as conventional as it is to tell someone you are going to give eight years of your life overseas, as it is to say, I'm going to spend eight years of my life to become a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist. And I'm being vulnerable with you, friends. So many times, I have attended youth conferences with 5,000 people and upwards of people who, who are excited and they love God and I can see it in their hearts and I hear it in their prayers. And this, and, this, and this whole session itself is being broadcasted to more fellow Adventists at home, listening to songs, preaching about finishing the work in this generation. And it makes my heart ache when I know that there is a gaping hole of laborers to share Jesus nine time zones away. I know of groups I'm working closely with friends who are struggling to find even just a mission-minded farmer who's willing to serve. We can talk about country living, but what about the rest of the world? I think there are many much more talented. I am riding on the wave of grace literally at this moment, and I know that there are many more talented, influential Adventist Christians and perhaps they haven't honestly given God a chance to call them to serve overseas. Because if we truly believe that we are to go worldwide, there should be a larger number serving as cross-cultural workers. And if in your group of friends, no one has served overseas or is looking to do it, Maybe you need to check and see if God is calling you. You know, while I'm, there are many times I encounter, while I'm stateside, people who tell me often, why don't you stay? There's so much work here in the NED. Or others who, you know, but I'm doing a good work here. I work, I, I, God needs me where I am. My talents are best used here. I don't doubt that. I believe, I believe there is definitely a work here that needs to be done. And may, I, I actually do believe in a little bit of a trickle effect when things move forward here, that it will trickle out to the rest of the world. But this is something that we can consider. If there was anyone whose talents served the church. It was J.N. Andrews. He was gifted as a writer and a theologian. He served as a representative to Washington, D.C., managing to secure our church recognition nationwide as non-combatants in war during the time of the Civil War. And, as we know, he served as the church's third general conference president, a title my friend likes to say, the King of Israel. But you know, it's J.N. Andrews 
at the youthful age of 45 that is chosen to serve as the Adventist church's first missionary. If God sees fit to call a GC president to overseas work, in spite all of his talents could afford the home soil, let us not flatter ourselves that God needs us where we are, but be willing to offer ourselves up to wherever he may call us. I think we, we also hope, we, we hope that maybe, maybe in a world of social media, satellite, and you know, all these things, we can reach, we can reach them. Maybe, you know, if I set enough aside two weeks to help. I'd like to respond with a story. But I want to give you a little bit of background. I am based in a closed country. It is about the size of California, but with two and a half times the population. And when you consider that one out of eight, one out of every eight people in America lives in California, that's a lot of people. The country where I am is, is a country of ancestor worship, where they worship the spirits of their family. It's a culture where um, a significant portion of the people will eat vegan vegetarian on the 1st and the 15th of the lunar calendar month because they believe that the gates of hell open and all the spirits of the dead are allowed to visit home. And families that eat vegetarian by showing compassion to animals will gain merit or karma for their dead spirit ancestor. This country is one of the last five remaining communist countries in the world. I have a teacher that is teaching me the local language. And during our language sessions, we talk on all types of topics, family, culture, relationships, politics, health. And I decide to ask for her help to translate a flyer where we're going to have a speaker share about evolution versus creation. There's a tagline, what came first, the chicken or the egg? She reads it and she laughs. It's so funny to her. It's like, ha. Ah. And then she, and then she pauses. Wait, so what, what came first? Oh, okay, well, what do you think, I ask her. She thinks and she's like, I don't know. And I tell her, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Bible. The Bible tells us that the God of heaven created the world. And I start to share with her the, many, the things that many of us learn in Sabbath school and primary. And as I'm sharing day one, day two, and go through the days, my teacher grabs a pen and she begins to write furiously. And then she looks at me and she says, what do you call that? And I'm like, I, I get caught off guard. I'm like, what, what? It's like, what you are telling me, what do you call that? I don't, I don't know how to translate it into the local language, the days of creation. And she tells me, I want to look this up on the internet. I've never heard of this before. Friends, this woman is 25 years old. She's connected to Facebook. She's on social media. She knows how to use the internet. She teaches students virtually. She had majored in law in the university. But even in an age of Zoom, television, Facebook, Google, she had never heard of the creation story until someone personally told her about it. Because how can you search for something on Google when you've never heard of it? 
And that conversation, it took me one year to build up to that conversation. And that's spending two to three times with her a week, two hours every time, two hours every time. Social media, satellite, all of those things, 3ABN and, you know, those have their place. Short-term mission trips, they have their place. I'm here because I'm, I'm serving overseas because of a short-term trip got me to that place. Praise God for them. But there is no way around the fact that to reach the unreached requires a person that will physically go there and be, be there to build relationships, not just for two weeks, but it takes time. It takes years. You can't replace it. And sometimes I wonder if what we read in Acts 8, if God will at some point be forced to permit a greater crisis to come upon our church so that people will finally let go of their dependency upon pastors, speakers, events, and make God their trust and finally be scattered everywhere preaching the word. Ellen White writes, I think it's in Christian service, the work which the church has failed to do in a time of peace and prosperity, she will have to do in a terrible crisis under most discouraging, forbidding circumstances. The warnings that worldly conformity has silenced or withheld must be given under fiercest opposition from enemies of the faith. I read this quote and it makes me realize that we think things are hard now because of this pandemic. Friends, things are only going to get tougher. It's only going to get more difficult as time goes on. But that will not change the fact that we still must reach every tribe, every nation, tongue, and people. Could it be that one day we're going to look back on this moment and think, why didn't I do more for God when it was easier? Why didn't I give more to God? Because friends, right now, simply because of my privilege, the door is open for me to go back to my field simply because I can teach someone else how to speak English. The door for so many places to reach the unreached are, are still somewhat open. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not Mark Finley. I'm not a nurse. My personal, professional qualification, I speak English. And that's enough to get me through closed borders right now to the unreached. I have a friend from the country, a citizen. He can't even get back. I could get back in before him. The doors are open for us, especially in a way that God has given us friends. Are we going to wait for things to get harder and then we'll start putting what we can towards God and his work? Are we going to wait for churches to literally close down without hopes of opening? Are we going to wait until our printing presses are taken and then we'll start doing something? Or can we take this opportunity of peace and relative prosperity to start planning and start putting forth an honest plan and work towards reaching the unreached while we still have doors open? I want to take us to our clo my closing verse. Acts chapter 17, 
starting with verse 24. Acts chapter 17, starting with verse 24. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. We know the desire of ages as the title of a book. But when I read this verse, this is the desire of ages to me. That God, everyone here, is not here by accident. It says that He determined the pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. You are not here by accident. You are not here in 2020 by accident because according to this verse, God could have put you during the time of the flood. God could have put you there at the time of Moses to see with your eyes the 10 plagues fall upon Egypt as, as, God's, as God is glorified through the liberation of the Israelites. You could have been there at the time of Pentecost with the disciples, but instead God waited 6,000 years for you to show up on the scene. The desire of ages is to see this world, the knowledge of God, covering the world as the waters cover the sea. And he chooses you and me in 2020 to be here, to be part of the work. He didn't choose Moses. He didn't choose James and Peter. He chose you and me to be part of the last warning to a perishing world. That's the desire of ages. That the world may seek after him. He is just hoping that they will grope after him and find him, even though he's not far from any one of them. I have three appeals. Many times when people hear some of the facts I share, they tell me that I never knew that we had so much to do. I always thought that we are almost done. Tell me what I can do. And I always say three ways. First is to pray. You know, back in the 1800s when the doors of China were closed, the churches in America began to pray that God would open its doors. And he did. And the first missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, was able to enter and bring the gospel. In 1982, when it seemed impossible that the gospel would get through the com through communism behind the Berlin Wall, but prayer brought down the Berlin Wall through, through a pastor who set up meetings every Monday. And for seven years, they met every Monday, 
praying. And it was prayer that brought down the Berlin Wall. We need people who will pray for the overseas work and the workers. Because it will not be weapons that bring down the walls of North Korea. It will be the power of God. It will be churches praying for the work that will bring down its walls. We need people who will commit to praying for the overseas work. Choose a project, choose something you believe in, but pray for it. The second one is give. I have a lot of people that also tell me, I wish I could go, but family, but work, etc., etc. No problem. Find someone you believe in, you believe in their work, and send them. You can't go, you can still send a substitute. Sending, and even if you, you know, there's a story. Oh, am I out of time? Okay, let me skip that first. Okay. <laughs> Last one. So, second one is give. Third one, go. I have met people of all ages who God has called to go that are serving now. Young, old, there is a place for you to serve. I've met someone who's an IT person that God needed to set up a, a network for the workers out there. I know someone who's an accountant. Without their help, the, that project would, would be stuck and hindered. There is a place for every person of every skill. You are needed. If you cannot go, if God is really calling you here, you still have the opportunity to reach the unreached in this community. California is a very diverse place, and there are many people who are studying here, international people. In my home church, I know of at least four people who were Buddhist atheists, studied here in America at one of our schools. The church brought them in, and those young people became Christians. Three of those young people went back to their country and are now sharing and participating in the gospel. If you cannot go, you can go into your community and make workers from those people and send them out. And so here, I make my appeal. Who wants to say that they are willing to dedicate and set aside and become a prayer warrior? You may not be able to go, but you are going to be there in spirit in your prayers for the overseas work. I'd like to see you raise your hand. Amen. Second, give. In a place where I am from, $20 is worth 500000 The money that we give to the work overseas, it goes so much farther than what you are going to spend on that Starbucks or that pizza that you shouldn't be getting anyways. <laughs> give. You can give. You can, you can set aside whatever treat you're going to give to yourself and put it towards someone you believe in. Send a substitute on your behalf, a work that you believe in. We need to be sending more than $1 for every $100,000, my friends, to the unreached. And lastly, go. Oh, sorry. Let me make that appeal. Who is willing to say, Lord, I know I can give more to, your unre to the work un to the unreached, and I'd like to commit and say, I will give.
Praise the Lord. And the last. You know, when I started praying to God, if he was asking me to go, it wasn't until about, about two or three years down the line that I finally was sent. And it started with simply asking God if he was calling me. And so I want to make this appeal. If you have never opened up the opportunity for God to ask you to serve, he may or he may not, but you've never given him the opportunity to call you to overseas work. Maybe it's one year, two years, or for until Jesus comes. But you've never given him the opportunity, and you want to say now to God, God, from leaving this today, I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask me if you are calling me overseas. I'd like to see your hand, and I will pray for you. Praise God. Let us pray. God in heaven, we are so blessed and privileged to have known you for as long as we have. I cannot imagine those who have gone without knowing you all their lives. Who do they turn to in their despair? Who do they turn to without hope, God? When we have you, they deserve to know you too, God. And we come before you with our hearts, Lord. And I, and I bring to you those who are saying that they will commit, Father, to pray on behalf of the unreached, to pray on behalf of those working for them, to pray on behalf of the governments of those places that the doors may open and stay open, God. I ask that you, that you encourage them and remind them that even if they wake up at all odd hours, maybe it's because who they're praying for is in a different time zone. Lord, put it on their heart. Remind them, Lord. And may they be encouraged as they see the doors open and see people going for you. And I want to pray for those, God, those of us who struggle and realize that we can give more. The things we spend on ourselves could do so much more for people overseas. Lord, impress them. Speak to them. Give them clarity on what you are asking them to give, about who you are asking them to help, about how, they are, how you are asking them to provide at a time when we need to finish this up. You have been waiting for ages. And I want to pray for those. I know it's not an easy prayer to pray. I have been in that place, God. And I ask that you be with each and every person who wholeheartedly and earnestly wants to say, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? that they're opening themselves up to your call, that if you are calling them, that you may show them and that you may encourage them and give them that strength and that they may know what it means to have their trust fully upon you and to take you at, their word, at your word, Father God. Lord, we are grateful for your grace, for your Sabbath, and for the blessed gift of Jesus Christ who came for us. We ask that we may abide in your presence and we may abide in your spirit, Lord. May our hearts be ever more in tune to you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.